0: Prophecies foretell the resumption of animal sacrifices and the building of the third temple on the Temple Mount just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Will the five rabbi approved red heifers that arrived in Israel last Thursday fulfill this prophecy? We'll talk about this and many other topics from a prophetic perspective on this edition of End of the Age. Everybody, I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this special Israel edition of End of the Age. Most of you know that I am on a tour, our fall Israel tour. We've got about 48 people with us on tour here in Israel. We're having a wonderful time. We've been to the Mount of Olives, we've been to the Temple Mount, we've been to the Upper Room, we've been to the Tomb, the Garden of Gethsemane, and many other places. And what a wonderful trip we've had Studying the prophecies, and then studying the other 70% of the Bible, as much as we have time for. And then uh, the spiritual experiences that we've had, like in the upper room and at the garden tomb, and looking forward to the baptisms that will happen up in the, just south of the Sea of Galilee, in the Jordan River, uh, over the next few days. So if you ever have a chance, come with us on the trip. Uh, We are already signing up, people, for the spring and uh, looking forward to taking two buses at that time. And what I'd like to do if we can, which we've already talked about it, is have a prophecy conference over here in Israel. We started our Jer- I'm standing in our Jerusalem Prophecy College here now. We started our prophecy college years ago by having a prophecy conference here in Israel, down in the bottom of the cloud building in a big um, auditorium that they have down there. We had 250 people show up. From right here in Jerusalem and the surrounding area, and much of our students that come to our Jerusalem Prophecy College now were attendees of that first prophecy conference. So what we're wanting to do, and then of course now you know that we have five to 6,000 students globally, and I mean, when I say globally, I mean all over the world that are attending the college online, but we would like to build back up our student base here in the, the physical college. And so in the spring, we're looking to, if we can, everything works out right, we're looking to have another prophecy conference here at that time. Now, uh, what we're going to do is a special program here today because <clears throat> I haven't been on the air live since last Wednesday. Most of you have been hearing from uh, Doug Norvell and Ben Stegall, and they're doing a wonderful job. But I wanted to come to you today with a, um, a very unique program. My father-in-law, Irvin Baxter, did this many times when he was on the Israel tour. And we would have people from that have joined us in Israel, in Israel, friends of ours, they would ask the questions. Normally we do a Friday open line. You guys are very familiar with that. But rather than having call-ins today, we're going to have uh, people that have joined us on this journey through Israel over the, uh, a 13-day journey they're going to be the ones asking the questions today. So they'll be joining me here in just a moment. But I wanted to give you an update on the red heifer uh, from my perspective. I did a, a um, live stream video on that, that we've shared. And I don't know how, it's had several hundred thousand views at this point. But the I actually was able to talk to Yehuda Glick. Most of you will know him. He was the uh, member of the Knesset. He's one of the leading guys that have been pushing for the building of the third temple Over the years, a very um, radical Jew who has been the one that's been going up on the Temple Mount and trying to sacrifice an animal on or near there. Then they would ban him from the Temple Mount for six or eight or nine months. And then he he would come back and try to do it again. And then he eventually became a member of the Knesset. And I talked to him the other day and I said, are you still a member of the Knesset? And he said, no, no, God's delivered me from that. And a bunch. (laughs) It was just a comical. But most of you would know Yehuda Glick. He's been a great friend of ours for years. He took my information and he said, anything that I know about the Red Heifer, because he's still involved with the Temple Institute and different things, Uh, I just saw a video. We were at the Temple Institute today where they have all of the instruments and tools and different things that will be used in the, uh, once they build the third temple. And he's still involved in that. So he took my information and said, hey, if I know of anything, any new information about the Red Heifers or the third temple or anything, uh, I will contact you directly. And he was a great friend of my father-in-law over the years. So what a great contact. We've made many great contacts uh, over the years here in Israel. Uh, we work with Dvorak Annie, who's over the Jewish agency. Our tour group went there. And uh, what a great time we had there. And we've, we have been very involved financially helping Jews make Aliyah back to Israel from around the world. We have biblical, prophetic reasons for doing that because we know the Bible says in Romans 11:25 and 26, when the fullness of the Gentiles become in, all of Israel will be saved at that time. Those that have made it through the Great Tribulation and that have made it through the Battle of Armageddon, right there at the very end, when God plants His feet on the Mount of Olives, the Bible says that they would come out to and to they know they know the prophecies of Zechariah where their conquering King, the Messiah, will come back and plant His feet on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says in Zechariah 13 that they will come out to him and they're going to recognize him as the Messiah. And they're going to say, but they're going to recognize the wounds in his hands. And they're going to say, where'd you get those wounds? And he's, the Bible says he will say, these are those with which I got in the house of my friends. And the, the 2,000 years of scales will peel off of their eyes and they're going to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And the Bible says in Romans 11, 25, and 26, when the fullness of the Gentiles become in, All of Israel will be saved at that time. So we believe that prophetically speaking, all the Jews that we can get back to Israel proper from around the world, because there's going to be a great time of persecution, or at least to the United States, that we can help save as many as possible. So prophetically, scripturally, uh, and other than the fact that we just love the Jewish people, Uh, All of my childhood heroes were King David and Abraham and Moses and all these people we learned about in Sunday school. Those are my childhood heroes. And now I get to be around, spend time with, and love their descendants, the Jewish people. They gave us our Bible. And so uh, we have a special place in our heart for them. I love everybody, but there's just something about the Jewish people that we love. I have many wonderful Jewish friends and uh, li- just and they're, they're going to be lifelong friends from here on. so very thankful to be a part of that and thank you uh, our, our wonderful supporters over the years that have helped give to those efforts and we're reaching the world for the cause of Jesus Christ I can tell you so uh, the red heifer talked to you Glick earlier most of you know that last Thursday five red heifers showed up in Is- in Israel. And I've been talking to you over the past several months, almost a year now, uh, about the red heifer that, um, the red heifers that Byron Stinson, Byron Stinson was trying to acquire in Texas. And now five of those red heifers have finally made it over here to Israel. And we're so thankful for that because it looks like at least one of them may be uh, in on the, the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. I'll talk to you a little bit. I know we're coming up to a break, I'll talk to you a little bit about it, a little bit more about it on the other side of the break, and then we'll get to some of our questions. So God bless Satan
1: and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to endtime.com/future or call 800 time That's 800-363-8463.
2: Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV.
3: Serving end time prophecy. Call 1 800 end time or visit endtime.com slash events for more information.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to our special Israel edition of our. Uh, open line session here is what it's going to be. We're going to have questions from our tour guests. We're on a 13-day journey through Israel. We started in Jerusalem. We're going to end up up in Tiberias near the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did most of his miracles and spent most of his time. And so uh, we will have the people that joined us on our tour group, they'll be asking the questions today. But I want you to know one more thing about the red heifer, the red heifers that showed up. Is that a lot of you never saw that in the mainstream media? And there, there was a, um, there were specific reasons for that. The Temple Institute they weren't talking about it, and I thought, man, I don't know if this is really legit because they weren't talking about it. And they're the ones that were over. They were going. They were the ones that were sending delegations of rabbis over there to test and to uh, inspect the red heifers. But they weren't talking about even on their website or their Facebook page. And so I contacted some people. They went down there and checked with them, and they said, oh, yeah, these are the rabbis. And I ended up talking to Rabbi Lipitsky, who um, absolutely confirmed everything. He said, oh, yeah, it's true, and this is all. But they were keeping it hush-hush because there are a lot of people that would, that do not want this to happen. They don't believe that a temple ever stood up here. They're denying this, and they know that the red heifers are one more step in Israel— Uh, building their third temple and so they would love to destroy these red heifers so the temple institute was not even talking about it it did not go mainstream until last Thursday then when they showed up on the dock in Ben-Gurion airport they made all the speeches many of you if you saw the video that I did or that Doug and Vince have been talking about they did all the speeches it was big pomp and circumstance and they were video and everything and now I have articles today from most of the major news sources in Israel. I have one from the Jerusalem Post, many of you would recognize that. From Texas to Israel, the title says, red heifers needed for the temple to arrive. And so now everybody in Israel, when I talked to Yehuda Glick the other day on the way to the Temple Mount, he was like, oh yeah, I know about the red heifers. I've known about that for months. And I'm like, nobody said anything. It was on purpose because now they came in. I tried to get our tour group. I talked to Byron Stinson who's over the project, great friend of mine. I said, Hey, I've got to, we're coming. We're going to be in Israel. I want our tour group to see the red heifers. And he's like, Oh no, nobody's going to see them. very few people. They're going into quarantine because when you bring cattle or livestock into another country, they've got a quarantine for so many days. And then they will be dispersed to undisclosed locations. And I'm like, I totally understand but on my tour group, they're, they're just going to be up in arms because they wanted to, uh, to see these as much as I did. I've already seen them. I saw them when they were in Texas, but it looks like it will be the next tour group that will get to see them, not this one. And uh, that I'll, I'll, you guys can blame Byron Stinson and the Temple Institute for that, but I'm sure you understand the reason. But uh, they're going mainstream now, and it's happening. I'll be, going, I'll be talking to Jim Baker, and then when we get back, we'll possibly do a program on that. And a lot of other people are wanting to even know about it. But I wanted to just give you a um, an update on that where we're at. They're putting they're once they get past the quarantine, they're going into undisclosed locations. And uh, they if they can get one of those red heifers to be completely red, rabbi approved, all the way to two years and one month, it would be qualified for the it would be in the third year according to Numbers 19, and it would be qualified for the purification sacrifice for any but any of the Israelis that have been in contact with the dead body. So just want to give you an update on that. Now, I've got lots of articles. that We could talk about world government, world religion, precursors of the mark of the beast, uh, efforts towards right now they're in the U.N. General Assembly is going on at the United Nations. And Gair Lapide who is the uh, kind of like the acting prime minister of Israel right now until the elections, he is. I've read in the news today where he's going to be speaking at the United Nations, and he's going to be advocating for a two-state solution. Most of you that have followed us for years, you understand the peace agreement that's going to be designed to start the final seven years to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon. One of the five characteristics of that peace agreement is that there will be a two-state solution created here in Israel and in the, the area of Judea, which the international community would call the West Bank. We call it Judea because I don't agree with that. Jordan gave them that name. However... Yair Lapid, the acting prime minister of Israel, is adv- going to advocate for a two-state solution. It is it's talked about in the news in his U.N. General Assembly speech. I have not heard the speech, but I do know that I, I read about 2.30 in the morning, because I'm still suffering jet lag, about 2.30 or 3 in the morning, I read through President Biden's speech at the U.N. General Assembly, and he also talked about the international community's only solution to the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict and that is a two-state solution. So many people are advocating for a two-state solution right now, um, but I, I just there's so much in the news we could talk about. However, on today's program is very special. We have 48 people that came with us to Israel, and they have some questions that they would like to ask. And so I know that the Q and A is one of our most popular programs every week, Friday open line. And so we're going to do something similar to that here. And so my wife, Jana, Urban Baxter's daughter, is going to help us with this. She's going to facilitate the Q&A. She's going to tell you uh, the individual's name, where they're from. And then they'll ask the question, because we're from all over the United States here. And what a great time we're having here in Israel. If you ever get a chance, come with us. We're already signing up people in the spring. And we already have many people signed up for that tour. So if you'd like to get in on that, you can call us. uh, When my wife gets back, call and talk to Jana. Uh, Robbins or talk to Brittany Moats about signing up for the spring tour. What a great time we're having here! Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to give it to my wife, Jana, and she's going to introduce the introduce the first uh, attendee. Okay,
4: we have Freddie from Ohio. Welcome to NDDH.
3: Dave, since we know that the final seven years begins with the sounding with the signing of the peace agreement. Yes. Is the Abraham Accords peace agreement sufficient or is it going to take the peace agreement
0: that uh, Donald Trump presented to Israel? Right, right. So many people have asked about the Abraham Accords and could that lead to or is that the peace agreement that will start the final seven years? I think that's what you're asking here. You referred to President Trump's peace to prosperity plan that was presented with him and Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, back in when during Trump's tenure, the Abraham Accords. What led to that? When Donald Trump came into office, he said one of the main things that he would like to do is to get an Israeli-Palestinian that to to get a peace agreement done and to solve that conflict once and for all. Of course, many presidents ahead of him tried to do that and they failed. So President Trump, he talked about the art of the deal, and you know, uh, and, and he he said I I would love to get this done it would be one of my great achievements and he did try very hard when he first came into office he said Jared Kushner and Jason Greenblatt Jared Kushner is his son-in-law Jason Greenblatt his personal lawyer Uh, he sent them over here to Israel to find out boots on the ground because that's what a true leader would do a guy over a business, anybody like that a statesman would send somebody in and just find out what's the situation what conflict am I trying to solve here so he sent them uh, over here to do that. and they, I mean, they were just traveling back and forth to Israel, back and forth to the United States, and it was a fact-finding mission. Well, they came back to him and said, okay, they laid out a plan. Here's what we need to do. And that led to Donald Trump, and, and uh, he led to his Peace to Prosperity plan. However, Donald Trump was smart enough to know when he came to, into office that just grabbing the... Uh, Israelis and the Palestinians by the nap of the neck and dragging them to a peace negotiating table, that was not going to work because that's what all the other presidents before them had tried to do. They tried to force them into negotiations. Donald Trump said that hasn't worked, so I got to do something different. So what I'm going to try to do is to get all of the other nations, the Arab nations on board with this effort. And if I can get the Arab uh... nations like saudi arabia and some of the other major uh... nations arab nations on board with this that will bring the palestinians to the table so that's what happened and when donald trump first came over his first trip overseas was to saudi arabia because he was trying to sign a uh, regional agreements and get all of them on board what happened is is that the Palestinians had veto power over the peace negotiations when they would any other president would try to bring them to a peace agreement peace table what they would do is they would say well we can't sign an agreement we we can't do this because the Arab peace initiative from the early 2000s it won't allow us to do this so they would just get up and walk away from the table they had veto power over that but Donald Trump realized we're not going to do that if we can get the Arab nations on board then the Palestinians will have no veto power. And when the Arab nations, if we can get them on board, that will bring the Palestinians to the negotiating table and they can't get up and walk away. So Donald Trump was trying that. Well, what happened is under the peace to prosperity plan, which you brought up, that was going to allow Israel to annex 70 percent of the West Bank. And Netanyahu was pushing, pushing, pushing to do that. And it looked like he was just about ready. You, you saw the, Jan, the July 1 announcement on the front of End Time magazine. Where they were talking about, hey, would they, if, if, if the Palestinians don't get on board with this, we're going to annex this area. Well, the leader of the United Arab Emirates, they had been talking to Donald Trump because, remember, and Jerry Kushner and Jason Greenblatt, because Donald Trump was trying to get this regional agreement established. They have been talking to them. And so the leader of the United Arab Emirates, I can't pull his name right now. But the leader of the United Arab Emirates said, hey, they're fixing to annex that land. We can't let them do that. So we are willing to normalize relations with Israel if they will pull that annexation off the table. Well, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he saw the benefits of normalizing relations with all these Arab neighbors around uh, in the Middle East. So he said, okay, we're willing not to annex in order to normalize relations with the United Arab Emirates. Well, you know now that many nations decided to normalize uh, relations with Israel, and it has had great economic benefit, and they're really prospering. And they signed that in September of 2020 with Donald Trump, Prime Minister Netanyahu, and the leaders of those nations, and that's what was the Abraham Accords. But the Abraham Accords are not the peace agreement that will lead to the final seven years. It could lead to that, but the conflict that will need to be solved, or at least solved in part, that will start the final seven years to the second coming of Jesus Christ in the Battle of Armageddon has to focus on the Israelis and the Palestinians. The Abraham Accords does not do that. It deals with economic relations and different things, normalization between Israel and those other Arab nations but it hasn't dealt with the Palestinian conflict yet. That's why Joe Biden, Yair Lapid, and many other leaders are talking about the two-state solution because that deals right with the Israelis and the Palestinians. So the prophesied peace agreement, Daniel 9, 27, and there's many other references to that, Matthew 24 when Jesus talked about it, that peace agreement focuses right on the Israelis and Palestinians, and the Bible says the Antichrist will confirm the covenant with many. They're gonna confirm Israel's right to exist In the Middle East, you say, well, the nations of the world, most of the international community won't do that. I just found an article the other day that said it was from, uh, let me see if I can find it here. It was something about Germany and that they would, oh, here it is. This was in the Jerusalem Post. Germany's public broadcaster mandates that all employees support Israel's right to exist. Now, I just went through Yad Vashem israel's holocaust museum and to think Israel, to think that just uh you know what just just under a hundred years ago there was the holocaust and now you've got germany's public broadcaster that's mandating that everybody support israel's right to exist think about the big bridge that we've come across to get to this point the international community at some point in the future will recognize israel's right to exist here set final borders there will be a two-state solution there's so much about it in the news. But anyway, that that there's a difference in the Abraham Accords and the peace agreement that starts the final seven years. The Abraham Accords could lead to that. Because the Arab Peace Initiative originally said that none of the Arab nations can normalize relations with Israel until the Palestinian situation is fixed. And that gave the Palestinians veto power. But once the United Arab Emirates said we will normalize relations with Israel, that took that veto power away. So the times have changed, folks, and this we could—we're we're headed straight for a peace agreement that will start that final seven-year period. Uh, so we can get a lot more into that, but we're going to go to the next question. Thank you so much. God bless you, my friend, and thanks for joining us in Israel. Okay, Jan, back to you.
2: Jana from Florida, welcome to VH. In Revelation 9:14, it says. Saying to the sixth angel, which have the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, a day, and a month, and a year to slay the third part of man. If you go to a world map, you know that the northern Euphrates River is just south of the Black Sea. And that's just south of Ukraine. Right. Do you think it's possible that those could be loosed, and what we're seeing right now could be the catalyst to begin World War Three. So
0: let me bring everybody on that's watching us here and listening to us um, in on the conversation. Jana asked about, not, not my Jana, but another Jana. Uh, they're both Jana banana. And so uh, another Jana came with us on the tour, and she asked about World War Three, the Six Trumpet, Revelation 9, verse 13 through 21. The Bible says, loose the four angels bound in the great river Euphrates. And when those angels are loosed, their mission will be to kill one third of the world's population. The Bible says, loose the four angels bound in the great river Euphrates, or to kill one third, all part of mankind. And her question is, could those four angels be loosed since it's just south of Ukraine, they go up into Ukraine and Russia, and that be the catalyst that would launch us into World War III. I know we're coming up to a break, And so we'll get back into this question and hopefully answer that the best I can on the other side of this break. So God bless you all. Thank you for joining us. And we've got more to come after the break from Israel. God bless.
3: Whether it's a global pandemic, threat of war or floundering economies, end time events are happening around the world every day. How can you have peace in a world of such great uncertainty? or go to endtime.com. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to
1: understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to endtime.com slash future or call 800-END-TIME. That's 800-363-8463.
3: If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button.
0: Welcome back, everybody. We're here in Israel. We're doing a special segment. We brought 48 people with us to Israel. We're taking questions from the students here. And so Jana has asked a question. Revelation 9, verse 13 through 21. You know what we teach about the sixth trumpet war. The first five trumpets have already occurred. And we're staring the sixth trumpet war right in the face. It's going to be World War Three. If you look at World War I, about um, just over 8 million people were killed in World War One. World War II. Uh, about just over 52 million people were killed in World War II. The Bible says this war will kill one third of all the population of the earth, and so it's going to certainly would be a World War III situation. And Jana's question was: The Bible says, "Loose the four angels bound in the great river Euphrates." The river Euphrates is housed in four nations: Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and the final borders between Iraq and Iran, where the Tigris River and the Euphrates River meet, it forms the final border of Iraq and Iran. So there's four nations that the Euphrates River is housed in. Loose the four angels bound in the great river Euphrates, four to kill a third part of mankind, and also there's going to be a 200 million-man army that participates in that battle. Now, when the Russia-Ukraine situation, when that conflict kicked off, I mean, people everywhere were saying, this is World War III. And I understand Vladimir Putin is now uh, threatening nuclear weapons. Horrific situation. He's threatened to use nuclear weapons in Europe. But I want you to understand what the Bible says about Europe and Russia, because it helps to answer this question. Her question was, could the four angels, when they are loosed, could they... Could they go up into the Ukraine-Russia situation and that be World War III? I'm of the opinion that the answer is no. Because the Bible says that the it, because of this prophecy, we believe that the World War III will originate in the Euphrates River region. And because of it says, let the four angels that are bound there be loose. So I watched the Iran situation, the Syrian civil war. We watched all those for years. It could originate there, and then you understand that Russia and China, they're talking about Russia, China, and Turkey right now have formed an alliance with Iran, just as much as the United States' is allies with Israel. And we would come to her defense, if we were to kick off a war with Iran, that's going to bring in Russia, China, because China just signed a 25-year economic and military pact with Iran just a couple years ago to work with them militarily if something happens. And so it's very important that we understand all of these ties. But as far as prophecy goes, we know that Europe will be intact and Russia will be intact all the way through the end time because Russia and the European nations and some of the Middle Eastern nations will lead the attacks against Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. So for Russia to start a World War III with Ukraine and them to you know use nuclear weapons and pretty much annihilate each other, how would Russia be able to be uh, in power and, and lead the charge against the, um, the world governing armies down against the Battle of Armageddon? I simply don't see that happening. They probably will be involved in World War III, but the Bible says that one third of the world's population will be destroyed. It's going to be the population centers. Now, it's going to—I, in my opinion, it will start in the Euphrates River region and then it's going to spread out around the world. Could it reach the shores, of the shores of the United States? It absolutely could. Because we're involved. The United States has our hands in everything going on in the Middle East region. And we just bombed some Iranian aspirations up in just east of the Euphrates River in northeast Syria near Deir Azor. Deir Azor is very important uh, because, um, and this could have led to a world war. We were watching it very closely. But during the Syrian civil war, we... Um, Russia was on the west; was controlling the western border. The United States was controlling the eastern border of the Euphrates River, the eastern banks, and many Russian mercenaries and some different scientists and different people were building a bridge across the Euphrates River at Daraa a few years ago during the Syrian civil war. And the U.S. military killed about 400 Russian soldiers and some of these scientists and different people that were trying to do this they were trying to come into the united states controlled territories and during that time that absolutely was not allowed the euphrates river was a border and we killed about 400 of them it was in debka file but hardly anybody talked about it but debka file is boots on the ground here with the idf and they reported on it and we talked about it on the radio so to answer jana's question Um, I don't believe that it will be between Russia, Ukraine. Now, it could lead to that because Iran is watching what the world community is doing to Russia and Ukraine. How is the world community handling that? Nobody. The United States hasn't went straight in and helped uh, Ukraine, have they? because there's NATO and different things going on. Russia says NATO gets involved uh, nuclear weapons. I mean, they've just been, they've been throwing that out there. So, but we haven't just stormed in there and helped Ukraine. We've been sending some aid and different things, but nations haven't just stormed in there and started fighting on their behalf, have they? So it's very important that we understand the geopolitical situation going on there. And that's what it is. It's a geopolitical situation. It's Russia saying, hey, we want to take back area that was taken from us when the USSR dissolved. That's what it's all about. It's a geopolitical situation. Will it lead to World War III? At this point, I simply do not think so. A lot of people have asked about um, China and Taiwan. Uh, again, because of the region that the Bible says World War III will emanate from, I don't see Russian, uh China, and Taiwan leading to that as well. However, Iran is watching at what's going on with the Russia-Ukraine situation. What's the international community doing about that? They're getting by with basically whatever they want to do at this point. And, well, of course, we've sanctioned them, but they've got to get this. They only sanctioned some of their banks. So what are you going to do? You're going to funnel your efforts through the ones that we left open. And then the China-Iran thing, or the China-Taiwan thing, Iran's watching that as well. But it's different those are both ge- geopolitical situations with iran it's religious they want to implement sh- their version of sharia law globally they see israel and the united states in the way of doing that they want to annihilate israel they call them little satan they want to annihilate the united states they call them big satan and they uh, many people believe we've been at world war three with them for years now, but it just hasn't escalated to the point where we, would have, where we would have mass casualties. And so it's very important because we understand the other two are geopolitical situation with Iran. It's a religious belief system, totally different. These people believe there that they are bound by their God to do this. And so that's why we watched the Iran and have watched it for years because Iran is the number one state sponsor of terrorism on the planet. They have close to half a million terrorist proxies in over 30 countries around the world. Do you think they don't have them in the United States of America? I mean, come on. All they got to do is fly into Mexico and walk across our border right now. We've got totally open borders. People are walking across, and I mean millions of them, millions and millions of people right now. And so I promise you that Iran has terrorist proxies in the United States uh, and other parts around the world. So. In my opinion, I don't believe that the Russia-Ukraine or the China-Taiwan situation would lead to that, um, to to starting the World War III. I believe it's going to happen in the Middle East region, according to what the Bible says, and uh, from all we can tell right now, uh, that's the best way I can answer your question, Janet. Thank you very much. Great question, um, Janet. Back to you,
4: Mary from Florida. Welcome to VH. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Dave, in in the book of Daniel, he dreams about the five beasts, and one of which is the lion with the wings of the eagle, yep. uh, signifying Great Britain and the United States, mm-hmm. maybe. Yes. Okay, so, but in Revelation, in John's dreams, he sees the same lion with no eagle's wings. Right.
0: So where did we go? Okay. Great, great question. So, um, just to, just to bring you guys in on the conversation, because just in case you didn't hear a question. In Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees four beasts. He sees a lion with eagle's wings, a bear. He sees a uh, four-headed beast, a uh, four-headed leopard. He sees a ten-horned beast. He couldn't like it to any animal he ever saw, so he just said, hey, I saw this horrible-looking beast, but his main characteristic was it had ten horns. In Daniel chapter 7, verse uh, 17 and 23, it tells us the, these animal symbols symbolize Kingdoms and the leaders of those kingdoms, and that they would be on the earth at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, when the God of Heaven would come back to earth and establish His kingdom here on the earth. So there was a lion with eagle's wings. The lion is the modern day nation of Great Britain. I won't take time to prove all that, but the lion is a modern day nation of Great Britain. The Bible says the eagle's wings were. He said um, in Daniel's vision, he said, "I'll be held till the eagle's wings were plucked, made stand upon a feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it." So a modern-day nation that came from the lion, which is Great Britain. Well, where do the, what's our mother country, the United States? Our national symbol is the, is the eagle. Where, what's our mother country? Great Britain. Daniel saw the Declaration of Independence 2,500 years ago when he was in Babylonian captivity. He wasn't even here in Jerusalem. He was unsettled, and he was down there. He's being, actually, God was blessing him in his captivity down in the Babylonian realm because he became a very high advisor uh, to King um, Nebuchadnezzar originally and then to King Cyrus and King Darius however he was given these visions of these nations that would be on the earth when the God of heaven would come back to earth to establish his kingdom not the first time he came but he was prophesying about the second time because he didn't come to establish his physical kingdom here on the earth the first time that was the second time so Daniel sees the vision in Revelation 13, 650 years later, Jerusalem's destroyed, the temple's knocked down in 70 AD, 70 A.D. by the Roman general Titus, and John is exiled out on the Isle of Patmos. God gives him many visions. He gives him the book of Revelation while he's exiled out on the Isle of Patmos. He gives him seven letters to write to churches that were on the earth 2,000 years ago, uh, history records that he was the overseer of those churches when he came off the Isle of Patmos and so that's when he delivered the letters that he sent in Revelation 2 and 3 and then, but when we get to Revelation 13 he's given a vision of a beast that's coming up out of the sea not four beasts, this is very important there were four separate beasts in Daniel 7 they were the ten horned beast, the current European Union or the revived Polo Roman Empire They were the lion with eagle's wings, Great Britain, the United States. They were the four-headed leopard, which is Germany. And then it was the um, bear, which is Russia. 650 years later, John writes Revelation chapter 13, and he says, I was given a vision, and I saw a single combo beast come up out of the sea. And it had ten horns. And it was a seven-headed, ten-horned beast. It had the body of the leopard, which lets us know... Germany would be involved in this uh, effort. It had the feet of the bear, Russia. It had the mouth of the lion, Great Britain, and it had the ten horns of the ten horn kingdom, symbolizing the European Union. And the Bible says that the dragon gave it its seat, power, and great authority. The dragon, in Revelation twelve nine and Revelation twenty verses one and two, tells us that the dragon is Satan. And the Bible says that this one of the heads of this beast would be wounded nigh to death, but the deadly wound would be healed and all the world would wonder after the beast. Well, we know now looking back, remember the nation, the animal, the heads represent nations. So it's telling us that one of the nations would be wounded nigh unto death, the wound would be healed. And as a result of that, that event would be the catalyst that would launch us into a new world order or a world governing body. And so, uh, man, don't you just love these breaks, everybody? Uh, so I tell you what I'll do. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to finish answering answering her um, her question on the back side of the break. But I want to say, God bless you. Thank you for listening to us. If you ever get a chance, come to Israel with us. We're having a great time. Call in, ask for my wife Jana, or ask for Brittany. They can sign you up for the spring tour. God bless. Welcome back, everybody! And what a great question Mary asked here about the correlation between Daniel seven and Revelation thirteen. And we're going through the beast in Revelation thirteen. She wanted to know why the eagle's wings are not are mentioned in Daniel chapter seven amongst the nations that would be in power at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes back to establish his kingdom. Why they're not mentioned in Revelation thirteen? And what happened to the eagle's wings? Were they Have they been annihilated? Did they go off into isolation? What happens to the United States in the end time? Well, uh, Revelation, John sees this world governing beast. He said all the world would wonder after this beast. It's gonna be a world government. The Antichrist will be the leader of that world government in the end time. So it had the body of the leopard, Germany, the feet of the bear, Russia, the mouth of the lion, Great Britain, the 10 horns of the 10 horn kingdom, the European Union, and the revived Holy Roman Empire. Those are the entities that will be major players in the end time world government. What happens to the United States? Now, I'm not gonna go into the healing of the deadly wound. I wanna answer her question here. What happens to the eagle's wings? That's Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is a parenthetical chapter in the book of Revelation, and it's revealing Satan's effort to establish his physical kingdom here on the earth. A world government, a world religion, a world government and the leader of that world religion, the Antichrist, a world religion, and the leader of that, uh, which will be the false prophet in the end time, and then a global numbering system that will be used to economically sanction every human being on the planet to get them to bow down to the edicts of thereby worshiping the the Antichrist and his world governing system. What happened to the United States? Well, if you jump back one chapter to Revelation chapter 12, It gives an account of a war in heaven that happens in the very near future. It happens three and a half years prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the Battle of Armageddon. When the war in heaven takes place, Michael and his archangels overcome Satan and his angels and bind them to the earth. The Bible says, Rejoice you that are in heaven, but woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, because Satan has come down unto you, having great wrath. Many people that think believe that the war in heaven happened at the in the Battle of at the um, Garden of Eden. But the, in Job chapter 1, the Bible says that Satan appeared, uh, the, the um, sons of God appeared before God to give an account in heaven, and Satan was with them. And God said, Satan, what have you been doing? And he said, I've been going to and fro in the earth. And he said, well, have you considered my servant Job? And, and then Job had to put up with a bunch of mess the whole uh, book, right? So... The Satan still has access to heaven today. He's the accuser of the brethren day and night, the Bible says. Well, in Revelation chapter 12, there's coming a time when he's going to, he's going to, it's his last ditch effort to overthrow God in the heavenly, in the spiritual realm. And of course he's defeated because Satan's an unbeliever and he's a loser. And everything he does, he's a loser at. I mean, Satan has no power over us. Okay, I'm not going to start preaching. We'll stay at prophecy. So anyway, Satan's bound to the earth. The Bible says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And he's come down unto you. And when he comes down, he persecutes the woman in that chapter. The woman with the 12 stars around her head is Israel. It's very easily proven that it's Israel. The woman that brought forth the man-child that was caught up into heaven And so the woman, he comes down to persecute Israel, the Jews in the, Jesus specifically talked about a, another Jewish Holocaust that would occur out in the West Bank region, the Judean region. Those are the ones we are going to try to reach in the end time. Many of you know about our efforts to do that. And also the Jews around the world. And that's why that's one of our main efforts to get Jews to make Aliyah back here because Israel proper will be protected. How do I know that? Because the Bible says in Revelation 12, 14, this is the answer to your question, Mary, that Israel at that time is carried away on the wings of a great eagle, where she is nursed in her place for time, times, and the dividing of time. Israel will be protected by the United States throughout the end time, the final three and one-half years leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon. You can see this. This has been happening for decades already. The five victor nations of World War II were given veto power at the U.N. Security Council when the U.N. was established. The U.N. Security Council, we have veto power. And since the United Nations is so anti-Semitic and always has been, over 50%, the majority of their U.N. Security Council resolutions that have been passed since the 70s have been against one small little nation on the Mediterranean Sea, and that's Israel. They're very anti-Semitic. And so, and hence they're anti-God. And so the United States since the 70s has used our UN Security Council veto power. Whether a Republican or Democratic president, we've still used our UN Security Council veto power to protect Israel. We can veto those UN Security Council resolutions against Israel, we can use our power as a victor nation of World War II to veto that. Now, President Biden's kind of messing with that veto. I read an article today or, today or yesterday where he's saying, hey, because Russia had used their veto power to protect some of the aggressor nations in the world, that things that are going in some of their own aspirations, then the United States is saying, well, hey, maybe we need to waver on that veto power a little bit. Well, we, don't, we definitely don't want to do that. But the Biden administration has done some sketchy things all along. Anyway, we won't get into that. However, the United States has used our UN Security Council veto power to protect Israel. Well, it appears from Revelation twelve fourteen that we will be able to protect Israel both militarily because over the last year, Israel has been taken from Europe command and placed under central command here in the Middle East. Where Europe and the United States, or Israel and the United States, will be working hand in hand militarily. We're now under CENTCOM, Central Command in the Middle East. So we're working, we're doing um, flying operations, uh, boots on the ground, military operations all the time, training together. And we're going to stand right with Israel all the way to the end. And I'm telling you folks, I'm so thankful for the United States of America, regardless of who's in Washington, D.C., Thank God for the United States of America because I definitely, during the end time, want to be part of a nation that is standing with Israel. Because God told uh, Abraham, I will bless them that bless you and I will curse them that curse you. I will never, if God will help me, I'm going to stand with Israel. I'm going to protect Israel. I'm going to support Israel. We love the people of Israel all the way throughout the end time. Because number one, I love the people. Number two, I want the blessings of God on my life. I'm never gonna come against Israel. That's crazy, if you know anything about the Bible. And so it appears that the United States will stand with Israel all the way throughout the end time. That's what happens to the eagle. Okay? Revelation 1214. Okay, okay, we're gonna try to sneak in another question here. Back to you, Jana.
4: Mark from sorry. Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, Mark
3: welcome to the H. All right. Hey David, I have a question regarding the role of the red heifer in the sacrifices. So once the daily sacrifices start, will the Jews need to sacrifice a red heifer every day, or is the red heifer part of a separate sacrifice?
0: Right. So, in um, that's a great question, Mark. Thank you. It, the in Numbers 19, the red heifer sacrifices is given to um, purify anybody in Israel who has come in contact with a dead body, whether well, they walked in by a graveyard. So pretty much just about all of them. Whether they've walked by a graveyard, or they've been to a hospital, or they have been to a funeral, or anything like that, God um, instituted the sacrifice of a red heifer as a purification sacrifice for the nation of Israel during that time. And there are many rituals and things they went through. I won't go through that, but um, Numbers 19. If you want to read about it in detail, Numbers 19 verses 1 through 22. And Mark's question is, do they need to sacrifice once they resume sacrifices here when they build the third temple and they resume sacrifices, sacrificing in the morning and in the evening, will they need a million red heifers or or is that just a once and done thing? It's a once and done thing. All they would need the red heifer for is for the purification of the nation of Israel. Once that happens, then they can use any kind of really uh, cattle or animals and things to um, different kinds of cattle for those sacrifices. The red heifer is only needed. According to Jewish tradition, there have only been nine red heifers. This will be the 10th one. And so that's why it's a great question because that's why it's so significant to us. Anybody who knows anything about Bible prophecy should understand about the significance of the red heifer. How do we know, prophetically speaking, that they are going to institute the sacrifices. Well, the Bible talks about an event called the abomination of desolation, when the Antichrist will stand in a rebuilt Jewish temple and proclaim to be God. Daniel chapter 11 tells us that the Antichrist will cause those sacrifices to cease, and that because he's going to be the leader of the world government— the Temple Mount will be placed under a sharing arrangement, according to Revelation 11, verses 1 and 2. And Israel's going to be allowed to build her third temple. John was told, measure the temple, but don't measure the outer court. It will be trodden down of the Gentiles for 42 months, that final three and one-half years prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the Antichrist, probably under international supervision, probably the United Nations, the United Nations will supervise that. So the Antichrist, as the leader of the world government, he's going to feel very comfortable going into the temple. He shouldn't do that. But he's going to be the leader of the world government. He's going to be a dictator, and he's going to feel very comfortable. So what he's going to do, he's going to come and say, you don't need those sacrifices anymore. The Bible says it will cause the sacrifice to cease. And then he's going to go into the temple and say, hey, you don't need these sacrifices anymore because the Messiah that you've heard about you Christians, you've been looking for Jesus Christ to come back, and the Jews, you've been looking for your Messiah, and the Muslims have been looking for the Mahdi, and the the, the Buddhists have been looking for their uh, Messiah figure to come back. I think he's called the fifth Buddha. They've been looking for all of these all these years. Well, I haven't told you this before now. I've been coming on a platform of peace and flattery, and I'm a great orator, and I looked the part. I'm the most powerful politician from Europe But I'm here to tell you that I am the Messiah that you've been looking for. The Bible says he's going to stand in a rebuilt Jewish temple and claim to be God himself. And the Bible says that the false prophet at that time, the leader of the false religion, will use satanic miracles to cause the people of the world to follow after, advocate for, and worship this individual. Now, you say, well, how's he going to use satanic miracles? What does that mean? Do you remember when Moses was going before Pharaoh to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Exodus? There was the ten plagues. You understand the story. All of you have seen Charlton Heston play the part, the Ten Commandments. Well, when he goes in and throws his staff down before Pharaoh, it turns into a serpent. So he thought, well, I've got him at this point. Who else is going to do that? Pharaoh's magicians came up and threw their staffs down, and they turned into a serpent as well. One was a godly miracle; one was a satanic miracle. Satan has powers like that. So the Bible says in the end time that the false prophet will use false miracles, like that satanic miracles, to get the, to garner the influence and the um, the allegiance of the of the people of the world, mainly the religions of the world to follow after him. The Bible says at one point, he will call fire down from heaven. And the people, will, the Bible says, everyone whose name is not written in the last book of life will follow after, pledge allegiance and worship this individual, which is going to lead to eternal damnation. You can't serve two masters. You can only serve one. You, you, you're not going to be able to say, well, I love God and I'm a Christian, but I'm going to love and worship this antichrist figure. So... Wow, I know we're coming up to the end here, but that's the main answer uh, to the question. You asked about the red effort we went at all kinds of things, which we always do, because there's so much about Bible prophecy. But I want to say again, thank you from Israel. Thank you to everybody who came with us to Israel. God bless each and every one of you for watching, listening, and supporting us over the years in our efforts to reach the world. For the gospel of the kingdom of God. We're reaching people all over the world, and you are helping. This has that been
4: thing. End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1 800 End Time. That's 1 800 363 8463, or visit us online at endtime.com.